0: Production. Market. The ISX the stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag.
1: Welcome to Motley Full Money, our very special, they're always very special. Sunday Mailbag Edition. I am reliably informed by my co-host that Sunday would still happen anyway, so I can't promise we have made Sunday happen, but I can promise we've made the mailbag happen, and we are here. Speaking of we, speaking of my esteemed co-host, Mr. Andrew Page Esquire. Founder and managing director of strawman dot com, the chief cook and bottle washer, as I like to say, Mr. Ram Page himself. How are you, buddy? I'm very good, very good, sir. Yeah. Excellent. Despite
0: Excellent. despite all of the goings on in various markets. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whist- You're whistling to crypto, along. Of
1: course, I'm going to avoid it. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I know. I know. Every time I say crypto, you, you desperately want to say no, no. It's Bitcoin. Uh, I, I hate it, the term uh, crypto. Sta- start with a tangent. So, an Economist tweet only this morning, as we were actually between uh, episodes. We record both episodes on a Thursday. Between episodes, and it was uh, someone saying, uh, "Well, it was the Economist with the tweet was something like, what does this mean for the future of crypto?'" And I was just gonna, I was. <laughs> I can just imagine every every Bitcoin-only fan who's going to like just pile onto that tweet with like, it's not just about crypto, it's all about... Anyway, I just thought Oh, was God. Just, not the, the, that they know what they're doing the, or not, but... Uh, <laughs> the,
0: the, the most frustrating thing about it all is, is that everyone everyone with their preconceived bias is out of the Oof. woodwork dunking, yeah. dunk, dunk, dunk. And it's kind of like... I think where they, I said to you before off air, it's just like the frustrating thing about it is, is like you know, I think everyone in Bitcoin land actually not only agrees with you, but has been screaming from the rafters for the last two years that it's yeah. all a Ponzi, it's all going to come crashing down.
1: It's like so, like just. And when you say all, you don't mean all, including Bitcoin. You mean specifically some of this other exchange stuff that that is questionable at best the 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 the, uh,
0: shouldn't we we shouldn't call them exchanges Uh, we should call them what they really are which is a casino um (laughs) and and not even smart casinos like a a smart casino just takes their (laughs) rake right these these guys have actually been taking you know scamming people into buying these worthless things Um, and then and then actually using that money and lending it out as using it as collateral for loans taking directional Mm -hmm. bets just it's how you go from 0 to multi billions of of dollars in values like this um, Sam Bankman-Fried guy you know he's like worth 15 billion dollars last week that's how you do it right mm-hmm. but you've had you've had um all <laughs> the OG bitcoin is going it's a scam. It's a scam. It's a scam. And then now, it's now, and now they're going. I told you Allegedly. so. And now everyone's dunking on them. And it's like we're on your side, guys. Like <laughs> exactly. you, you, you're so you're so lost in your in your own preconceived, ill informed yeah. notions that you you know. It's anyway. It's it's very it's very frustrating. But
1: we'll, <laughs> I'm we'll getting get that there. sense from you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can you do? What can you do? You it's can't not,
1: do much at all, mate. What, nah. what you can do, though, well, you can you can help me out a little bit. You can tell me what strawman.com is.
0: <laughs> we as I joked on uh, as I joked uh, <laughs> the other episode. We are a uh, online crypto exchange with with the straw coin. Private uh, online crypto. It's going coin. to the moon. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely going to the there moon. You go. You should, you should buy it. It's uh, it's 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 blockchain. It's something. It's it's cool. It's gonna it's gonna disrupt and disintegrate. Like Bitcoin, but better. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. better. Bigger block size. Faster transaction times all of that stuff yeah, no go. we are we are not that we are, we are a humble private investment club and, uh, and that's we're the we founder
1: who just is a little bit partial to Bitcoin a little bit yeah a little bit right. <laughs> mate uh, let's, let's, let's get on with uh, I don't think we've got any Bitcoin questions for you this week but I dare say they'll come in soon enough oh, yeah. uh, I, there, there were some people on Twitter I mentioned our, our, our tongue and cheek exchange on Friday who are looking forward to Bitcoin episode part 2 which we will have to do at some point soon uh, probably as yeah. we get closer to Christmas it'd be my guess that'd so be a good one for that yeah yeah um, We'll have to talk about that. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do that episode, so we'll have to we'll have to think about uh, how to how to kind of wind in what we already talked about, what kind of comes from that, what are the questions people have got. Maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's the thing. If you have any Bitcoin specific questions. Um, use the usual social for all of your investment questions we'll try and answer them on the podcast but if there's Bitcoin specific ones maybe I'll call it now for yeah. people who've got those questions send them um, Andrew you may have different ways you want to handle that episode and we'll talk about that off air but mm. if you do have any particular questions for Andrew around Bitcoin uh, or crypto in, and in as much as they're not the same thing as Andrew's said in his opinion so um, you know but if you have any any question about how they are different or the same or any of that kind of stuff uh, now would be a great time to flick them through
0: they are, they so, they are yeah. the same in as much as Pets.com and Amazon are the same You know, I don't know how else to say it more simply. But anyway, yeah, send through through some questions. We want it it to be listener-led. So we'll talk about the things that you're interested
1: in. Nice. Uh, We got a question from Delphin who starts by saying, Discord and Andrew... Written in retrospect, in in square brackets, my emails end up longer than I intended. (laughs) Feel free to paraphrase or summarise as you see fit. But we'll do our best, Delphin. He says, uh, I'll start with the obligatory thanks and praise, not for the sake of convention, but because it is well-deserved. That's what we expect, Delphin. Well done. Thank you both for the time you give Australians with an interest in their financial futures. I hope the good non-personal advice you provide continues to improve the lives of all listening. So do we, mate. And thank you. It's very very kind. Uh, He says, I feel like uh, I've tried... (laughs) This is one for you, Andrew. I feel like I've gone a little too far down the rabbit hole with this question, or perhaps I'm a victim of self-induced multi-layer inception. I would appreciate any non-personal advice, once again, you could provide. I'm sold on dollar-cost averaging into low-cost, broad-based Australian and or international ETFs. Excellent. And the buy and hold strategy for these assets. Excellent. Uh, Superannuation seems like the perfect place to do this, contributing up to the maximum concessional contributions threshold each year for my wife and I. Here comes the question. You guys often talk about cash being uh, this has been the worst investment over time. Uh, probably is, uh, worst, I think it's probably is yep. with interest gains generally losing to inflation and the huge opportunity cost of loss of growth potential over equities. I would put it to you both, says Delphin. I like the uh, the uh, courtroom tone. I'll put it to you both <laughs> that for the proportion of Australians with a home and mortgage, the choice is not between cash and investment, but between cash in offset and investment. For those with a paid off house equity could be liberated for investment funds once again with an offset facility with the cash in offset earning in quotes more than cash in an interest account or a term deposit due to tax savings with interest rates rising and retail loans predicted to head towards five percent plus in the years ahead there must be a transition point where if you drew the curves of equity earnings both growth and dividends compared to cash held in offset you'd reach a net neutral earning mm-hmm. over the longer term if the share market averages nine percent over the long term then after tax, you, the earnings might be 6 or 7% per annum. If I'm brackets or quotes earning 5 to 6% in an offset account, it feels hard to justify the extra risk of equity investment for a potential 1% to 2% return per annum. Is this logic wrong? I realise our current inflationary and higher Australian environment may not last longer term, so the above calculation may only be relevant for an unspecified period. But it does feel like the foreseeable three to five years will be trickier for investors, especially from an index-based perspective, if you aren't hunting into individual shares. Part two of the question relates to the opportunity cost of investing now versus holding cost, cash in the offset. Now, he thinks we've got three timelines facing us. One, where there's a significant market crash. Um, second, where things stabilise, inflation has peaked then turned to a level above recent normal. Or a third, where the structural issues driving inflation start to reverse or end, or we achieve a feat of productivity increase which allows for accelerated growth? Perhaps she has returned to or beat the 9% per annum in this event. I'm more of a bear in the upcoming decade, he says, which probably speaks to my personality. But some of the resources, listeners t- some of the resources you've pointed listeners towards, including the psychology of money and Ray Dalio, also point towards some tough times ahead. Mm. I'd suggest that in two of the first two scenarios, you'd be better off holding more cash in offset than investing now. In scenario one, a large stock market crash would provide opportunity to back up the truck. Psychological barriers might prevent investing during this period, of course, but you can use a pre-written investment plan. Uh, in scenario two, you'd only be slightly better off investing in shares. And in scenario three, you lose out to the market, eat a big piece of humble pie, look at the opportunity cost of losing maybe 4% per annum by staying in cash versus being in the market. So he just says, look, thanks for attempting to pull me out of the rabbit hole. I hope my spinning top falls over and I can get on with the everyday realities around us." As <laughs> always, many thanks, kind regards, and full on, Dolphin. Um, so a really, really good question. A really good points. I think... I think that the math is pretty straightforward. That I, I, I tend to agree at some point you simply say, well, depending on what your, your tax rate uh, and what you're paying in the mortgage, it does make sense to say, okay, well, the, the lines cross over. Cash in the offset is worth more than cash in investing. I think that's uh, by de- mathematically true. The question mm-hmm. is how close we are to that point. Do you have a view? Uh, this is the hard thing, right?
0: Because so The, what the maths is sound. I mean, choose, choose your input, right? And... <laughs> And
1: Like every dollar cost averaging uh, – sorry, every discount cash flow over, right?
0: Yep, yep. And so you, you can't fault the reasoning and, and we, yep. we're left sort of arguing our various interpretations of the crystal ball. And, yeah. you know, uh, who's yep. right? We, we, we won't know. We'll find out. What you mm. can say for sure, and, and I agree, is that the the money in the offset or even if you just talk about paying down the damn thing altogether um, mm. on, a, on a mortgage is, is a guaranteed return. Like uh, you know, it's not it's not the ten bagger, uh, you know, super sexy tech stock that goes and disrupts an entire industry. But yeah. that is it's, it's twofold. So as I said, it's a, it's a it's a guaranteed return in in the form of savings, um, and it also reduces your overall risk as well and puts you in a very very strong position. So it will depend if 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 you're if you're very highly leveraged or sort of up towards the higher end, I I would. Even if it meant that I, under various assumptions, I thought I was going to lose out on a total return basis, I'd probably Mm. be inclined to put more money in the offset or just pay it down, just just to reduce that risk because I don't I don't want to be. You just don't know what tomorrow will bring. You would be in a horrible accident. You could lose your job. Anything could kind of happen, and then then you're stuffed, right? So, um, uh, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. I think is a pretty good strategy when it comes to investing. Even if you look back and say, oh well, in hindsight, I could have done this, 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 and this, which will always Mm. be true. Mm. and yeah, and if, if opportunities, more attractive opportunities come or that big <laughs> lovely fat pitch comes, well you've got you've got that money in an offset that you can you can draw down again, assuming you're mm. not doing so to put yourself into a to a highly leveraged position to to take advantage of that. So it kind of gives you it gives you reduced risk, it gives you optionality and it gives you a guaranteed return in the form of, of savings. So I I I tend to agree with that. And look, my personal thumbsuck for whatever it's worth, probably not much, is that I think I think it'll be a tough, a tough a uh, few years at the very least um, as we sort of work our way through some previous extravagance. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with almost everything you said. Um, I don't have much to add. I think I have a slightly different perspective, which I'll share. I think in terms of the the offset, the challenge of the offset for, for many people is just keeping your hands off it. So there, mm. there's just, just be really mindful of that because mm. for whatever return you think you're going to make, if you're tempted to jump, dip into it to buy a new car or buy a pool, put a pool in or do whatever you're going to do with the money, um, you know, in, perfect, in a perfect scenario, very, very easy. Now, it's also easy to spend dividends and other things, so it's not about just the offset itself. Just be just be really, really mindful of how that might come to pass.
0: Can I just of, say something very quickly? Please, the whole yeah,
1: point yeah. of an offset
0: account is to s- circumvent the need to apply and receive a home equity loan. Yeah, right. right. You know, it's just, it's, the, the banks are like, well... We kind kind of down don't you want yeah, you to yeah, pay yeah. off yeah, the right, loan, that's right, that's but right. we want you to feel as though you are and we want you yeah, to know that yeah. you can get this at any point in time because, you know, you, you paying down your loan
1: doesn't help yes. us.
0: We want, we, we, you
1: know. Yeah. Just, which is actually my point, which is using the offset rather than just paying off the loan mm-hmm. is either really clever or it's just false economy because you convince yourself that you won't do it and you end up doing it anyway. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of having money in the offset. Uh, when, when we bought our house that we're living in now, uh, I actually, I borrowed the maximum I could without mortgage insurance and put the rest in the offset. I didn't need the full amount. I borrowed 80% of the value and I put, and it was a a decent chunk of change and it was literally straight out. I knew, well, I knew, I I believe we wouldn't touch it Mm. and we didn't, which was good Um, but I borrowed it specifically to say if I get, if I lose my job tomorrow, that offset money becomes just repayment amounts that I can pay for extended periods of time while I go and, you know, find another job or we sort ourselves out financially and if we don't need it, then it doesn't cost me anything. So, that's perfect from that sense Um, but, I think actually paying down some of this stuff is actually more useful um uh, rather than yeah you know the, the offset only if you need the cash we're going to take the cash for something at some point uh, arguably i would say um if you you know think just think actually about just paying it down because mm. you know mm. yes we like we like flexibility optionality you talked about ram but just pay off is part of it part of the option um the next uh so yeah that's that i I will take the other side of both of you gentlemen's views on the next five or ten years, um, only based on law of averages, uh, which is that we tend to extrapolate as a matter of course. And I would, I would, I guess I'm betting because I'm investing. I would bet the next five years are about average, if not more, rather than less. So, Andrew, you and I are taking slightly different views on the on the market. Maybe another one of those remind me in five years tweets we can throw out. Um, <laughs> And it's not because I know anything different. It's actually because I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to avoid the um, commentary and the, uh, the the nowness of it all, and what could happen. Because you know we've talked before about the Chinese property market is going to be crashed for x number of years, and China's going to run a foreign currency, foreign currency at some point, and Steve Keen sold his property you know <laughs> 15 years ago because you know, I mean they that can happen. They're absolutely possible. And I think I would absolutely say really clearly there is zero guarantee, and I could be a million percent wrong. But over longer periods of time, the market tends to to turn toward average, um, and I would I would speculate that that's where we um, that's where we end up. So just 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 straight out trying to ignore the the reasons to worry because there are always things that can drag us down. Uh, we're investing anyway, so Rand and I are doing anything differently. We just have slightly different perspectives. I was going to make the point. It's
0: just it. like yeah, I, I really want to be clear here that the majority yeah. of my money stays invested. Over exactly. Time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, right. Yeah. that's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. All right, so I think, I, I think we've done that one. Um, hope that helps, Delphine. Uh One from David. Hi, guys. Heard you were a little light on for questions, so I have a couple I'd love to get your opinions on. Firstly, Andrew has me summed up well. As I am over 60 have a business card and apart from emails i'm not on any of the multitude of social media platforms hence the email question this was the for those who don't weren't paying attention uh, this is when andrew slandered mercilessly and completely inappropriately our <laughs> old listeners uh clearly it was andrew i i defended you all and i think you are wonderful wonderful people andrew doesn't like you that's his cross to bear not mine um uh, you anyway, know david says that doesn't mean however i avoid tech companies as online banking and podcasts rank in the order of being the best thing since sliced bread, in my opinion. So I'm very interested in tech. It's amazing what we take for granted, isn't it? I'm interested in topping up on Alcideon and Whisper. I currently hold in my portfolio, but from all the expert commentary, feel the tech sector still may not have hit rock bottom yet and may not until mid-next year. When would you consider buying more tech stocks that aren't cash flow positive? My second question relates to one of your older episodes on crypto. Oh, dear. What is a minor? in quotes. Keep up the very informative and entertaining podcasts. I've learnt so much from them over the past few years and have used your advice, albeit generally, he says, to set up a mini portfolio for my four gorgeous grandchildren. Oh, well done, mate. Who I hope to be able to educate in investment when they get a little older. They are lucky kids, David. He says, fool on, David. That's very, very cool, mate. Well done, mm. Um that, 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 those, 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 honestly, um, we love helping our listeners. Uh, personally, though, I love helping our listeners, grandkids even more. I think this, you, you guys, and, and your kids, you guys are just doing some spectacular things for people who won't appreciate it yet, won't know it, uh, but you're setting them up for, for very, very, very successful lives, hopefully. So, well done. Um, mate, can you give me a 30-second on what is a miner so we can get that out of the way? Yeah, it's a really horrible term. What
0: miners yeah. do is they compete for the right to add the next block in the in the blockchain, And by doing that and making sure that all the transactions are kosher and correct and properly um, attributed, they they get Mm -hmm. a reward in the form of the, the native token that you're dealing with. Cool. So basically, basically, there's, there's a triumvirate here. You've got nodes on the network, which, which mm-hmm. keep a record of everything, keep everyone honest. Mm-hmm. You've got miners that process all of the transactions, essentially, and you've got the, users of, and you've got the, the actual users and holders of, of the tokens. I shouldn't just say Bitcoin because it's the only one that matters. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what they do is they, yeah, they, they, they essentially secure the network. And right now, despite all the ructions that are going on, there is more mining activity now than has ever existed. The hash rate is through the roof which makes Bitcoin the most secure system in the world by about uh, two orders, three orders of magnitude. Which
1: is not what David asked, so we'll move on. Um, <laughs> he knows what a miner is though. As someone who processes the transactions, David effectively. Mm-hmm. All right. Back to Alcidian and Whisper, and then more broadly whether the tech sector has hit rock bottom and when we might buy st- tech stocks that aren't cash flow positive. Do you have a view on Whisper or Alcidian as stocks or a view on the tech sector more broadly?
0: Yeah, well, I've got a very strong view on um, Alcidian. Okay. Um, because I've, I've been a shareholder since 2020 uh, both You're on right. straw man for my my public portfolio and just my nice. my, my personal portfolio I've, I've got a few I really mm. like the business um I did sell some it got to pretty silly healthcare prices. software just quickly sorry just oh so ber- yeah ber- ber- they, they, they do so it's amazing anyone who knows who works in healthcare knows this but they're very mm. late adopters of technology it's why you go mm-hmm. in a lot of places and there's still like a clipboard at the end of the bed if you're going to uh, wrap your head around that doctors were the last yep. people the last holdouts for like pages and fax machines <laughs> like you know God God yeah. bless you yeah. you're, you're yep. all miracle yep. workers but but seriously <laughs> get with the times so Alcidian has this uh, really cool, they've got a range of products um Mm. Um, Maya Precision and others, but essentially they... They've got like a electronic whiteboard to help manage um, mm. various wards. They've got um, things that help you sort of schedule and manage the patient journey and it's all linked up and um, you know, we'll, we'll oh. set you alerts for when you need to do things. It's just, it's just like the, inevit- the inevitable evolution of, of that sector
1: rather yeah. than using, you know, as I say, a, a whiteboard. Technology enablement for, for an important industry.
0: Yeah. Now, so where what, what if you really have to dig into the weeds here a little bit is that med tech is a huge industry and mm. these hospitals and Places like the NHS over in England have spent millions and millions and hundreds of millions in, in in building these legacy systems that they're very hard to switch out. They they are so critical to everything that even though better things come along, the the implementation is a huge project. There's always mistakes, and it's not an area you can really afford to just shut it down for a while and come back when it's ready. So they they tend to be they tend to be much stickier than than and and and, and the. Uh, the adoption and, and evolution of technology in that sector tends to be very slow for, for actually pretty good reasons. What's cool about our city and technology is it doesn't disrupt all of that; it actually sits on top of it. So whereas a lot of people come in and say, "Hey, we can do all of this faster and better," so actually, we'll talk to all these legacy systems so we can implement very fast. Um, we can make sure that your previous investment isn't gone to waste, or we can still get to use it. We can roll it out very very quickly. And so they've been doing that for a while. They've had a huge set success over in, um, in in England, in the UK with um, with the NHS. Um, they are very fast approaching cash flow break-even. Um, so I think the, to answer the question here, I think I'm not afraid of companies that are losing money. Um, I'm afraid of companies that are losing money with no hope of ever making money. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? What, so- about,
1: what about the bit in between though, mate, which is losing money in a potentially dangerous environment where they might be able to raise more money to keep themselves afloat. Yeah. Can you kind of pass that out for me a little bit? Yeah. So you
0: you want to you want to make sure that they've got a very I sh- I should have done some more preparation. I would have had my notes in front of me at, at the time of doing this. So I'm gonna be going from memory here, but you you want to make sure that there's a pretty strong balance sheet so that you can at least wear the cash burn until you hit that break even point. Mm-hmm. Which I believe um El Cidian does. Um, okay. they're, they're very, the, they're, they're not going to be having, they're not going to be needing to pass the hat around to shareholders. And you certainly do not want to do that in, in the current environment, yeah. uh, where, where it's very hard to do that. You want to see some very strong momentum in sales and you want to see a cost base that is able to flex. So yeah. in other words, there are some companies that like, if we were running a hairdressing salon and we wanted to triple our, our volume, you know, there's only so much haircuts I can do in a day. You know, it takes me what I don't know, what, fifteen minutes for a, for a um for for me. <laughs> my wife's haircuts take a bit longer. I don't know. I'm gonna get in hot water here, but basically there's only so many I can do a day. I'm gonna to have to I'm gonna to have to increase my staff uh, levels as as I scale up and my costs are going to increase as well. The great thing about things like our City and other companies is that well, the technology you can roll out to 100 other different um, hospitals and medical institutions around the world. And while there's an implementation and there's ongoing maintenance and, and assistance with all of that, you don't. The, the increase in the cost base shouldn't grow as fast as the increase in in the, in the revenue run rate. So there's three things which I'll summarise because I went all over the shop there. Very strong sales momentum where you feel as though the sales are going to go continue to grow very strongly for very good reasons, not just blue sky hope. You want to make sure that the cost base is very flexible and able to to, to um, scale effectively without without having to um, add a lot. And you want and you want a lot of money in the bank so that you can you can sort of make sure that you get there. And I think with our city, and it kind of is in that direction. I, I yeah, I, I can't give advice on this, but I, I hold it. It's very popular on straw man. Um, mm. The other whisper, I'm I'm not as familiar with. Sorry.
1: So I don't know either as well as you do, Alcideon, so I'm not going to add into that one, but I will ask you about the right time to buy. So David says he reckons, and experts say, tech won't have hit rock bottom until mid-next year. Um, but this is says, why, when would you consider buying more tech stocks that aren't cash flow positive? Do you have a view on the sector or the timing or the process of doing that?
0: Yeah, it's not so much about what's happening in the market, but it's I, I really try and look for those companies that um, have they have commercialized a product. A lot of stocks on the ASX like, oh, we've got this really cool bit of tech. And, you know, the market, total addressable market is like, you know, $100 billion and we're going to disrupt it all. It's like, that's cool. But I want to see you actually making sales in the market. And I actually want to see that sales growth growing really strongly. I want to see... I wanna see customers that have bought it continuing to use it. So you might be able to trick a few people into saying using it and then they go, Yeah, it sounded good, but it's not for us. So you wanna see very high retention. In fact, you wanna see customers that uh, and this is the case with Alcidian, in fact, is that when they, they, they usually dip their toe in, you know, okay, we'll we'll roll it out to a few of these venues and they're like, oh actually we love it. Actually we're gonna we're gonna roll that out rapidly. Um very much lower cost of sales uh, in, in that scenario, or the, 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 the client acquisition cost, I should say. So I think when you see all of those things playing out and you have seen that they have demonstrably been able to look after their costs and have managed their, their cash flows and their capital balance well, I think you, you can start drawing some lines where you think, actually, you should tip into profitability in the not too distant future. And you know that when that happens, or if that happens, I should be more correct, that the market now looks at a company that isn't burning cash and isn't unprofitable, but rather is profitable and is self-sustaining. And that tends to, not all the time, but often get a very strong re-rate. It starts to get onto the radar of bigger, bigger players. And and you can, you can get some serious upside in, in, in situations like that. You just You just don't want to be so early that it's all blue sky. And you don't want to be so late that everyone has got the memo and it's no longer there's no edge to be had now because everyone's agreed that it's it's great and it's in the price Is that's that all-
1: company specific right that's not a matter of timing the purchase in in a calendar sense it's no, time, no it's think, thinking about the opportunity in from a company perspective yeah it's not about timing per se it's just saying right now the upside and downside you know over time as businesses you know in very 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 early as any business the upside is unlimited, the downside is unlimited or you know, minus 100%. Yep. And as you go further along, you become Woolworths where the upside is moderate, the downside is moderate. Yes. And somewhere somewhere on that journey, you can say there is likely to be not a single sweet spot, but a range where the upside is still pretty reasonable yep. because the market hasn't caught on yet. The downside's. A lot less than it used to be because it's done some things to get itself in order. It's cash flow positive, or it's going to be cash flow positive. It's got a good balance sheet. Whatever those things are, the product's selling as you say, strong revenue growth. Yep. Where you go, okay, well, there's, there's a thing here, and it's not guaranteed, but the downside looks relatively limited business wise. Yep. And then valuation wise, this thing keeps growing at this sort of rate, we could be in for a, a really good upside before it becomes bullies.
0: Yep, and they tend to be very well. The one again, I'll stick to what I know here with our city. And it's an incredibly sticky project. I mean, there's a huge amount of tendering and 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 um they go out to market and they they think very carefully about what <laughs> they're going to adopt because it's a big yeah. project and there's a lot on the line but once they've made that decision and it starts to be implemented it becomes so incredibly sticky because one all the nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals are familiar with it so they don't like to have to learn a new system all the time and they advocate very strongly for that particularly if it makes their life and their job easier um the, the administrators love it because it just means that they're able to deliver um, uh, better outcomes, they reduce accidents and all of these other kinds of things. And then it's just sort of like, well, we're actually looking after, you know, 30 hospitals, we'll trial it here. Actually, it works really well we're going to just that rollout potential is very significant. There's a few companies in my portfolio that absolutely meet all of those conditions. And so it's, it's, there's, there's so many companies, we speak to a lot on straw man. It's like, Oh, we're doing this. And it's going to be really cool. It's like, that's great. You are on a watch list. I'm excited, but you know, maybe I'll dip my toe in, but I want the companies where, cause I'm not a hospital, right? I'm never going to buy this product. In fact, they wouldn't sell it to me. I'm just, I'm not a customer, <laughs> right? But, but you, you, every cust every company has a good story like literally every company has a good story right up until the very end until it doesn't and they don't,
1: they don't, most of the time, they're not trying to screw you they, they generally hope this is oh, what yeah. they're going to try and do and be successful with and so it's not a case of they're all they're all making up so it's like we have these hopes of being the next thing or we're gonna we're gonna or- do this
0: you know and and that's yeah. great but but when you see people actually buying it real cash real transactions mm-hmm. and that is going up and up <laughs> and up every year I, what it says yeah. to me is that hey this is legitimate. They are, they are absolutely – this is the thing that they said they were going to do and they are doing it. Now, in hindsight, would have I made more money if I bought it five years ago before the first sale had come through and it was all blue sky? Yes, probably I would have. Um, but, but, but it's just, it's a, it's a coin flip, probably not even, not even as good odds as a coin flip at that, at that point in time. So I, I, I think that there is a sweet spot where you forego a lot of the very early upside, but you're still well ahead a lot of, of, a lot of the big money as well. So you've got, you're investing Yes, albeit with less upside, but still very significant and attractive upside, but at the same time with much, 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 much less risk. city in 2022 is a very diff- different proposition to where it was in, uh, in 2018. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to be careful what I say here because I get excited when I talk about stocks I own, and <laughs> and, and unfortunately that can be contagious. and And so, I, please don't run out and buy it just because of what about what I've said. Um, do, go and go and do your own work. Make sure you understand it. Plenty of people I know, smart investors, hate it. So, so there is that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is, that, put, is that is that is that a put.
0: big bit of butt covering
1: yeah but yeah no that's enough i think you're probably you're probably okay there um yeah look i i will i will agree mate just I, you know i don't i don't know the business as well i think david um just be careful about the experts and what they say and what they think uh i don't i'm sure we must have said last week i can't remember if we did the dow jones had its best month in 46 years in october uh and no one no one had forecast that in september no one said guess what get ready yep. this is going to be the best month in half a half a century uh, so when the experts, so we talked about experts on, on Friday's podcast mm-hmm. about CEOs who think they know what's going on. Nobody knows, David. And the other thing, by the way, is if everyone believes that's true, then what's gonna happen is the people who think they're smart are trying to get ahead of that. So the price will go up earlier than that. The are trying to get ahead of that. Just the whole thing is a bit silly. So I don't I don't blame you for wanting to try and find the best price to buy. I don't blame you for wanting to ideally find the bottom and pick at the bottom. No one knows when that's gonna be, mate. It might if 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 it's midway through next year, that will be 83% luck and 17%, you know, um, estimability, because the reality is it could be February. It could have already passed for all we know. We could be on an upswing from today, from, from tomorrow, uh, or it could decline for another 18 months. No, literally nobody knows. I honestly think it's a bit of a fool's errand to try because it leads you to try and address issues. You have no time, you have no, you have no ability to really know. And so if you can't know it and you spend time trying to work it out, you're going to probably distract yourself. You're probably going to muddy your own thinking. Uh, I'd be buying at good prices, not at good times. I just think, I think it's a bit of a waste of effort. And I, again, not because I wouldn't want to know, would do it if I could do it. I just don't know that it's doable. Yeah, good prices. They, you, you nailed it there. Good, good prices.
0: Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at full.com.au forward slash listener.
1: Cameron says, my dearest Scott and Andrew, I love dividends. Because of this... I hold a fair chunk of the Vanguard ASX 300 index fund. However, I've recently come across these figures. And he shares a link to a Seeking Alpha page on IVV, the ETF IVV, which is the S&P 500 ETF. They show the dividend growth, says Cameron, of the S&P 500 is somewhere between 10 and 20% per year, on average, roughly, he says. The S&P 500 is supposed to be high growth, but it seems as if I hold it for 20 plus years, it'd make a pretty attractive dividend play as well. Am I missing something? Should I sell everything and just buy the S&P 500? Mm -hmm. My whole world is upside down. Kind regards, a lost dividend investor. And that's from Cameron. Cameron, I've had a look at the link you've sent through, and you can do it if you go to Seeking Alpha and look for IVV. We have nothing to do with them, but given you mentioned it, if anyone wants to follow along at home, they can. Uh, Mate, I am going to say that because you love your dividends you may have been uh, led to maybe look at the positive numbers and not necessarily the negative or the low numbers. Uh, So there are some years, absolutely, where dividend growth has been 23.68% in 2019, for example. Absolutely true. There are also years where it's been minus (laughs) 18.9%. And in the last 10 years, uh, the compound annual growth rate of dividends has been about 8.2%. So you're seeing the 10 to 20s and going, those big numbers look good. If I could have some of those big numbers, I'd be happy. Uh, First, I'm going to just say very kindly, very gently, is I don't know you can assume that 10 to 20 is a reasonable range ongoing. In fact, I I would absolutely tell you, I don't think you can at all. You should not assume it's a reasonable range ongoing. Mm. What you have identified, though, is that dividends tend to grow over time. And as I said, the compound annual growth rate of dividends over the last 10 years is 8.2% on the S&P 500. Over the last 20 years, it's 7.6%. So that means the income you're getting is growing roughly at that rate every year, which is spectacular. And if you're a dividend investor, you should want growing dividends. One, because we all like more money rather than less. Two, inflation, which we've always talked about, but it's now become a much bigger issue because the numbers got higher, is going to continue to eat away at your purchasing power. So you want growing wages, obviously. You should want also growing dividends as well as growing asset prices if you're going to be a dividend investor. So those two things are really, really important. So first thing, maybe cool your jets a little. Secondly, uh, you're right to want growing dividends. And this ETF does exactly that. It is a has been a It has been a good ETF here for 20 plus years when it comes to growing dividends. I've also checked the uh, capital return, the, the capital growth. It's also been very, very good. I think what I would say is a couple of things, and I'll get your thoughts in a second, Andrew. Firstly, um, uh, I, I think this is a perfectly fine dividend play, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, I would say a couple of things. Firstly, a, a growth of 8% is good, but if the starting yield is 1% or the starting yield is 3%, then the cash you're getting is going to be very different and you're not going to necessarily catch up. So if you're, if you're starting with a very low yield and even if it grows meaningfully, it has to grow a, a lot faster or for a lot longer than a yield that starts at a higher place. If you've got two companies, one's yielding 1%, one's yielding 3%. By the time that 1% gets to 3% in, in absolute cash terms, that's going to be years and years and years into the future, even at moderately high growth rates. So to, just to get to 3 the other one, if it's already starting at 3 and growing as well, it's chasing a moving bogey. And it could take 10, 15, 20 years to get there. Now, it might get there. It might still be worth doing. But just be mindful, not only of the growth of the dividend, but the starting yield. Uh, now, don't maximize your starting yield. We talked about banks on Friday. Um, I'm not saying go for the highest yields either. I'm just saying make sure you do both of those at the same time. So I I, I don't have this particular ETF. I have a Vanguard total market ETF for my young bloke. Um, it's great. I'm glad. It's I think it's going to grow well, dividends and... Capital value. And I'm really happy to own it, or own on his behalf. But um, it's. It, I wouldn't be buying it for the dividends. The other thing, of course, is don't forget your franking credits. You're going to get franking credits from Australian dividends. You're not going to get them from U.S. dividends. So again, like comparing like for like, just be be a little bit careful. Um, you should expect dividends to grow because company profits grow, and if company profits grow, share prices should grow. And yes, the S&P 500 is an ETF. Is a growth or, or more tilted towards growth. Um, and it has a lower starting yield, those things are all true. In fact, the year-end yield now is 1.21%. So if you're starting from there and the the ASX average yield, I think it's about four, mate. I haven't looked recently, Andrew. Something like that. I mean, that's a big, that's a big if you if you want dividends, I'm not saying you should, but if you do, it's a big gap to give up, hoping that the growth in dividends will eventually catch up. But if you like the SP 500 and you want the combination of growth and dividends, and you're happy to start with a lower yield and have that grow over time, then there are many, many worse things to, to buy than this particular ETF. Mm. Your thoughts, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I just, if my focus was dividends, I wouldn't buy it. That's all, uh, you
1: know, right? I, I, what I... Because of the low yield?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and let's say it goes at 7% per year. The mm, old mm, the mm. old rule of thumb is add the growth rate to the starting yield. So that's, yeah. you know, 1.2, just 8 plus 7, you know, 8.2%. Yep. Is what you could get yeah. over the very long term if you add those yeah. figures together, all else being equal. Um, which yeah, is not, no. it's not a terrible investment. No, it's good, um, yeah. but you don't get the fretting, cranking credits. Franking credits are so significant. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of people know this, but it's, it's like take the yield and multiply it by one point four three. Um, that's how much it boosts it by. If you want to look at the grossed up value, yeah. or divide by 0.7 more accurately, and and yeah. it's 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 pretty substantial. So you know. Over, if you're looking at a 20-year arc and you're looking at compounding and reinvesting those dividends and the dividends are going to grow, then yeah, that's fine. If you're 75 and you want yields now, um, it's just, you know, 1.2%. That's, it's, and this is in an inflation environment that the RBA told us to expect 8%. <laughs> you know, it's, it's losing money, really. Um, so I would, I, would, uh, yep. I, I guess, look, Everyone's got to do what's right for them, but I would be more inclined to spend a bit of time. It's worth it. Um, it's funny it's funny how we like we work 40 hours a week for 48 weeks a year on average the average person. We do that for decades and decades. You ask someone to spend a couple of weeks researching something for their for their entire nest egg. it sort of feels like too <laughs> hu- too hard. <laughs> but I would encourage you to spend more than a couple hours but to really sort of dig into it over a period of months. There's no rush, take your time. But try and find ten really high-quality dividend stocks that are out there, and don't just go towards the banks or something that everyone did because the yield is high. As Scott said, that's that, we, and we spoke about it on Friday about our, our particular thoughts on that. But I'll pick, I'll pick on one to get you started. Um, Solpats. you know, this has mm. got one of the longest uh, records of rising dividends in in the country. Uh, I think it's unbroken for like something like in oh, thirty years or, or something like that. Um, and here you've got a company if I stall for time and look it up. <laughs> it's actually giving you 2.8%, which... Uh, 4% grossed up yield. Mm-hmm. You know, so that this is like three times higher than that that alone. And this is a company that's actually instantly diversified because it owns a bunch of other companies. Um,
1: and that, by the way, it's got a long... T- I own shares, uh, but it's got a long-term market-beating track record as a total return as well. So now you're getting a nice... Not market-beating, but a nice yield... Lots of yep. frank credits and a market booting return overall. Yep, that's a, That's a pretty nice call.
0: I mean, I wouldn't put all my money into it, but there's wow, there's a great one yep. to get you started. And and you go and look out there and look, and you will find there's a bunch of companies that, you know, that that are offering two, two and a half, three, mm-hmm. and even higher, but with some really b- proven to be able to sort of pay dividends through thick and thin and grow them at a at a decent rate. And I, I know, I know, it sounds like a, a little bit of work, but it's it's just so it's so worth it rather than, I mean, you could just buy an ETF and there's nothing wrong with, with that kind of stuff. The trouble is is that when you go to Australia and you say, I want a dividend ETF, the product providers, and that's exactly what they are, they have and just gone users. out and bought all the, just, they've just they done a scan on yield and some liquidity and market cap filters and they've just basically bought the big banks and Woolies and, you know, the rest of it. And then just, I, I think you can be a little bit more sophisticated than that. And and if it was as i said before, if it was just a matter of finding the highest yield and going for that, you know, it's just not that easy. Um, that'd be that'd be my encouragement. But look, at the end of the day, I think so often on this on this pod we We get very smart listeners, so we, we really kind of get to the to the far end of of the spectrum and down into the weeds. It's just like if you did nothing other than just buy the IVV and sit on that for ten years, you're not going to complain. I don't think so i don't want to I don't want to paint one as like a far superior option
1: just that that's how i would I would personally do it. Yep, I, I think that's a, I think a really fantastic way to, to describe it, mate. So um, yeah, no, dear, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with it, uh, but I wouldn't buy 30 pounds either. Um, Adam says, hi guys, you recently answered a question for me and I have another. If you had a portfolio of three or four broad-based index ETFs in equal amounts, the ETF automatically rebalances every three to four months to reflect the companies in the index. My question is, do you also need to rebalance each holding, say every 12 months, to keep an equal amount in each. Thanks again for all the advice and full on, Adam. So Adam's saying, let's say let's say you got, you know, I don't know, a thousand bucks in each of four ETFs. Uh, one's a global one, one's Australia, one's American, one's small cap or something, just pick numbers. They're gonna have different returns over the next twelve months. At that point, you should you, should you do you have to rebalance them to kind of go back to twenty five percent in each? I don't think so. I
0: I mean I know. I know the the academics would probably say you need to. You know, my, my, some of my biggest investment mistakes have been overthinking that angle yeah. and rebalancing. And by rebalancing, I just sold some really incredible companies because they because they were doing so well, the business and and eventually the share price that they became a very significant proportion of my my. Um, uh, Portfolio. You mentioned the other day that you know Berkshire was what, twenty percent or twenty five percent of your portfolio? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how you would be personally if you every time it got above your ten percent <laughs> target allocation, you yes. sold yes. your Berkshire yes. shares. Yes.
1: Plus paid tax, by the way.
0: Right. On the, on the, you know? Yeah. So I mean, again, I know it's why I always say it, but it depends. Sometimes they're just the price will be silly and it just it take, it makes sense to to yeah. sort of reallocate. But but the, the, the first rule of compounding is just get, get out of the damn way. And, and I think sometimes we can be too clever with that. Now, if you're talking about a scenario where one of the ETFs was the Kathy Wood ARC ETF and it's 2020 <laughs> and it's just gone up 80% and now it's 60% of your portfolio, okay. But if you're looking at a more <laughs> typical situation where you started at 25 yeah. percent for each, at the end of the year one's 30, one's 22, and it's all like, you know, mm. really. And I guess the other way of rebalancing, if you're still at a, a, a allocate or a contribution phase, mm. is just to put more money into the one that's that's mm. that's mm. that's dropped down. And, and again, assuming that nothing has changed in terms of the outlook for any of
1: these these kinds of funds. But
0: yeah, yeah I think I, you know, look, don't don't overcomplicate things keep it simple
1: mate i very rarely do this we used to do a bit in the old days um i haven't done it for a while i'm going to do it now um we have just launched a brand new etf service at the Motley Fool. it is stupid cheap um like i'm talking yeah, let, let's say 29 because that's exactly what it is stupid cheap uh, which has a ready-made allocation to a broad set of ETFs that I think, personally, because I put it together, um, <laughs> is worth people investing in if they're ETF investors. So, you know, we're, we're stock pickers, generally speaking, the Motley Fool, as are you. Uh, we also know a lot of our listeners want, understand, advice about ETFs. Um, this is really stupid cheap. I think it's a fantastically good value. Um, there are t- T's and C's, read the disclaimers, all that kind of stuff. Um, go to fool.com.au forward slash join dash ETF dash investor. So join ETF investor, fool.com.au forward slash join dash ETF dash investor. Um, 29 bucks, cheapest chips. Uh, And I say that only because... i was i wasn't actually gonna do that at all but when we're talking about rebalancing it, it occurred to me that's uh, you know that's something we're going to do or think about when it comes to this particular service it's literally launch, launched on monday like it's brand brand new so go and have a look please mm-hmm. um help me out by the way because uh, if you don't want to do it tell your friends and family uh, it's just it's super cheap 29 bucks like what's that 60 cents a week um Seriously, like one trade, two trades, just super cheap. Mm. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, also, a, a you get $50 worth of brokerage if you're a new Perla customer and you join us. You can use our, our code to get some free brokerage. We get nothing from it. They get nothing from it. Uh, we get happy members. They get more customers, but there's no money changing hands just because we wanted to help our members get started. So you're going to pay $29. bucks. you are going to get 50 bucks of free brokerage if you're not already a Perla customer. Um, super cheap. Anyway, my point was going to be that... Um, we are running this service by telling people how much proportionally across the number of etfs we've got in the service we think they should allocate so if you're putting money aside every month or every two months or fortnight or quarter or whatever to allocate to etfs we'll say this much in that etf that much in that etf when we change that we're not going to suggest people rebalance everything they own we're just going to tell them what we think they should do with the new allocations with the new money they're putting towards their investing in etfs and the reason is pretty simple it's largely tax um, if, if, we, if we change one ETF for another, if we change one ASX ETF for another ASX ETF, it's very, very unlikely the one we're going to move away from needs to be sold immediately because it's probably just one might be better manager or slightly lower fees or something. Um, it's not going to justify paying a whole lot of tax just to save a fraction of a percent in fees or something slightly better as a, as a manager. If we change the allocation to or from US shares because the Australian dollar changes, again, we're not gonna say sell everything, pay tax on what you've just sold and rebalance the entire portfolio. We're just gonna say put your new allocation, put your new money in this particular proportion. Because at the end of the time, when you, when you retire, hopefully in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the total amount you add is, you know it's, it's more about what you've added and you've added in low cost quality funds to um, so your point about not interrupting compounding unnecessarily, it's also don't pay tax unnecessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Like don't don't hold stuff that's rubbish to avoid tax, but don't don't incur tax bills just for the hell of administrative simplicity or because it makes you feel better to have fewer ETFs or just the ones that we're recommending. We're literally we're specifically going to say don't don't sell the old ones, mm. don't change what you already own. Just put your new money in this allocation, unless the etfs suck, in which case we will make some changes. But we're planning to just say to people, just. Follow this advice with the money you're adding to your portfolio. I just think it makes a whole lot more sense. Um, so yeah, a bit, bit of a plug, but it, it was actually relevant for the for the answer. I wouldn't rebalance at all, mate. I, I see no need to re, unless, here's, here's the thing, if you bought the ETFs expecting them to be equal performers every single year, then I think you've probably been doubted in terms of what you're expecting. Because they're not gonna be, something's gonna outperform something else by definition. It might be the US versus Australia, it might be smalls versus large, emerging versus developed. Someone will outperform the other because averages are averages. Next year, it might be the reverse, or it might not. Um, trying to rebalance just for the sake of it, I I think it's one of those academic things, mate, that they did and kind of, because they thought they sounded smart. Mm. And it just, it makes, it never made any sense to me. As you said, if you've got too much in something, that's a problem. Mm. If you're unhappy with what you own, that's a problem. Just because one's grown faster than the other. I mean, these things tend to kind of revert to averages, right? It's like, it's like selling the best performing fund and then, you know, also selling what your worst performing fund and buying the best performing fund last year and then wondering why it didn't outperform the next year. Uh, I find the whole thing a bit silly unless, you know, yeah, I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it personally. But Adam, do 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 you, as as Andrew would say. A <laughs> uh, question from Troy, mate. He says, hi, Legends. Thank you, mate. Absolutely love both the weekly podcasts and haven't missed one since I started investing during COVID. Big thanks to the state government stimulus packages, he said. They got my investing journey started. Well, there you go. Thank you, Premier. I'm 43 now and I can't agree with you both anymore that I wish I'd started investing 25 years earlier. After looking at those long-term market charts, yes, it is painful. My question is probably more, oh dear, more aimed at RAM this week. Re-small really cap businesses. There you go, mate. You were complaining about not having any questions for you. Yeah, <laughs> getting some um, I get there's a lot of research to do to understand the companies in terms of what they do, where they're headed, and what their current financial health looks like, etc. I also understand, <coughs> excuse me, there are lots and lots of small caps on the ASX. So is there a way to filter or find a starting list of companies to investigate? And what parameters would you use as starting points for drilling down into these companies to find the, <coughs> that conviction? <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, The drink <coughs> to find that conviction that is necessary before making the decision to press the buy button. Hope this makes sense. Cheers, Troy. Over I'll, you, I'll let
0: you get a glass of water and I'll I'll field this one. Here it is. I'm tempted to say. I'm tempted to say that. And a lot of people will say, oh, that's why you can do a scan. And there'll be all kinds of software applications out mm. there where you sort of put in some parameters and it'll spit it out. Um, because it's easy and because it's appealing and it feels as though you're, you're being very efficient, the trouble with mm. it is, is that you just tend to miss some of the more interesting opportunities because the, the fact that they are interesting opportunities is that they're not obvious. And so... I don't want to name names because it's just so small and so hyper liquid that if I, I say anything, I could like you know just break <laughs> break the market on it. But there's you, there's a company I own that um, you know they, they're doing I think on a pro rider basis 120 million dollars worth of sales and moving and growing their margins um, very robust I think very well placed to sort of benefit from a, a, a capex boom blah 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 it trades at 11 million dollars. And you never would have found it by a scan because it had a few acquisitions and divestments and the rest of it. it just made that a lot of the backward looking numbers, and you know, all the historical numbers are backward looking, of course, just just wouldn't have revealed that. Another slightly bigger one that I pitched at FinFest was um, done rather well since then, actually, I'm happy to say, but um, uh, Ava Risk Group. Again, massive, mass- look at the share price, it, it looks um, terrible. The, there was a big divestment. There was um, some big one-off license deals, you know, virtually 100% margin kind of stuff. Very beautiful. But again, it, it just, it doesn't show up in the numbers. And so the the way that, well, I mean, you 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 gave a plug, so I, I have to do one now as well. I guess my my, yeah, my, my plug is straw man because we've got, you know, we've got 500 plus really smart investors who are all just sharing their ideas. And it's like, you never would have heard of this. And someone's, someone's looked into a company. And, you know, a lot of the time, you go, not not for me. And I'm sure I put stuff out. People go, not not for me as well. But it's a, you know, at least someone's looked at it. Yeah. They've cut through the noise. They've gone, you know, one layer below the, the numbers and just saying, hey, this looks really interesting for X, Y, and Z. And I, I think the Buffett talks a lot of, God, can't can't go five minutes without mentioning Buffett. We should make a drinking game. We contractually obliged, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but um he he just spends he and Charlie always talk about they just spend all their time on their bum reading and mm. and that's a very inefficient way but it's kind of the best way um but you will build up. It, it is. It does that effort compounds because you'll find that over time, you, you, we all want. We all want a, um, a, a buffet of of <laughs> really good opportunities in front of us that we can start digging through. But you'll, you'll you'll find that it just takes a while to build up that watch list. And I'll look at a lot of things and I will go, ah, oh, interesting, but not now, and I'll leave that on a list. Uh, or no, no way am I interested in this. Or this one looks really great, and you you build up this this li- these lists that it, where it might not be right now when you come back to look at it in 6 12 24 months later you know you've done a lot of the, the initial groundwork and 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 it becomes easier and easier and easier and, you, and you, these these watch lists just become very valuable ip i think because you've invested so much time in scrutinizing it looking at it seeing what you need to change and i'd love to be able to say actually just plug in yield above this growing revenue at this and it to do, 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 do and 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 that'll spit out the right answer um, so just to be less frustrating than all of that, because that's the brutal honesty of just, just having to, to, to do it that way. I do, I do look for things where it's like it is, there's, as I said earlier, there's a real product. There's, a, there's, there's revenue. They're selling something. I like to see momentum in the business, not the share price. I'm not talking about momentum in share price. Momentum in the business where they're able to sell more and more. I like to see a business that's got a pretty strong balance sheet, it's always a positive where the insiders are significant shareholders because you know that doesn't mean they'll be successful, but you know that they're really trying. Um, so there, there are there are a couple of high level things that that are that are worth doing, and I think it's also not not too. Um, well, I think it's important to sort of say two things that you understand. I, I come across a lot of companies that kind of look really cool and the numbers are all everything sort of checks out except I've got no clue what you do. <laughs> I can say the words and I can read out the company description, but really I've just like I've got no direct experience or understanding whatsoever of what you do, and so I'm happy just to put that in the two hard baskets. So I think it, I think it, it helps to sort of have some familiarity with the the industry and product that they're talking
1: about long-winded answer I mean, hopefully it's helped you recover from your your connections i have mate man I was, I was struggling there wasn't i um it's yeah no i think i think that's a really good i think that's a really good summary i uh, there are so i think the the challenge with investing is understanding actually not well businesses but business models to start with and and the refining process tends to be as you've already said mate never love it or I'll look at that again later when things kind of develop. Mm. And it's thinking about what what sort of criteria would you use? So I think generally speaking, as you say, screens are not going to necessarily work for you because... They're all the other way, everybody. And if you're relying on who's got the fastest computer, it's almost certainly not going to be you, it's going to be someone else or yep. a better computer or better better screening tools or whatever. Yep. That being said, you don't have to beat everybody to be right, right? You can buy some some stuff that other people are already buying. Um, you can follow on the coat whether they're straw man members or, or something else. Um, I think it's a great solution, by the way. Go and go and find some smart people who've already done some work and see mm-hmm. if you can get a couple of steps ahead from them. They won't always be right, but they can tell you what and why and how. And you can start to then track that and learn from that. I think that's a really, really useful way to do it. I will I will give one I will give one mention of a screen, despite your point, which is absolutely hundred percent valid, mm. which is I would if I was gonna do anything, <clears throat> I would use a screen to find growing companies which is not going to save you a heap, but it will cut out, rather starting with A and going through the list of dodgy gold miner, Spitech's never going to make any money. By the time you've got to look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that, you know, one, two, three, four up to 2,000. That, that's that's year's worth of work. I think you can, personally, uh, it's not going to find every company. You're going to, you're going to miss a whole lot. You won't get, you, you'll get some po- false positives and some false negatives, but if you can find a business that's growing, you mentioned something on Friday, uh, a growing business uh, tends to be a business that at least has a fighting chance of being bigger in time. And getting to or growing its profit—no guarantees at all. But if I was going to say, just just help me cut down the list from this to something, I'd would start with growing revenue. I have to say, Andrew, I think you know you're going to miss you're going to miss opportunities of businesses that are temporarily not growing. Absolutely, um, but I if I had to, if I did, if I just had to literally say, how do I do this other than doing it alphabetically? I think that's where I'd start. Hmm. Do you, any, do you have any kind of simple one offs to kind of just, just narrow it in the list a little bit to kind of get some? Yeah, I mean, I, to
0: start? I, yeah, I'd reiterate that. So again, so so if I had to program it in, I'd say mm, mm. A, a there is something at the revenue line. Mm, mm. Um, B that that revenue is increasing um, year on year for the last uh, several years. Um, uh, you probably want to have something. Maybe if you can. Uh, look for a, a certain cash balance you know I, I think it's always nice to have a, a little bit of a little bit of a buffer that that it means you're not depending on the kindness of strangers mm. to, to stay mm. afloat mm. um I, I, I find it hard to go further down that line though because okay. some of the it
1: just, how, where do you get your newest idea? How, you, how do you uncover things you haven't looked at before? What, so you, you, the, the benefit you and I have got, we've been doing this for 25 years. We, we know a lot of companies and businesses and industries, mm. and we kind of have enough working knowledge. That's the great thing about investing, by the way. It's one of those cumulative pursuits where the more you learn, the more you learn, the better positions you are. Mm. And actually, it's easier the longer you do it, which is also really cool. Yeah. Not so easier as in you're going to make fewer mistakes, but just aggregating the extra stuff that you can kind of tack on to what you already know is easier. Yeah, you work but if out you're a to if you're going to look for a new company... Just okay. I'm going to spend. I'm going to spend a day looking for some something new. Yeah. How, how would you How would you work out where to even start? I, again, it sounds like a plug, but it's
0: true. It's just so. So people will say on Strongman, it's like, hey, can we we speak to one or two CEOs a week in the small cap space? Right. Then come and say, hey, come and tell us what you do, um, how your company works, and mm-hmm. people will suggest stuff. And um okay. you know, I'm not I'm not here to sort of say, no, that's worth speaking to or that's mm-hmm. not. It's like, yeah, okay, if you want to hear about it, let's, let's do it. You go, know, I've never heard of this company before, let's do it. We speak to them and this is like, you know what, I never, ever, ever would have got past the first page on this one. But right. now I'm now I'm interested. And Navardi was a good example of that um, recently. I got got a small holding in that and they're doing they're doing payments in a really interesting way. And it kind of a whole bunch of reasons that would have turned me off. But having spoke this is the other great thing of, of small caps is that you have so much better access to to management that's true where you can just ask questions and it's a, it's a big part of, of what we do in, in the club yeah. is to sort of say hey we're kind of curious it looks interesting we've got a bunch of questions can you help us out here it's not about where's the share price going to be or you know it, it's just like help us understand what you do what's the competitive landscape like how do you think you're going to grow what's the strategy etc cetera, etc cetera. big big questions the big the, they're always surprised because they're so used to speaking to analysts who want to know about like line item number 14 on, you know, note 17 of the the financial <laughs> statements or whatever. It's just big yeah. picture stuff. And and that's kind of how I do it. And there's if anything there's like there's there's too much to look at because I think the the I've always said I I prefer to be a very concentrated investor. So for me, and I've got a few more than this, but you know, 90% of of my capital is in less than 10 stocks. Um uh, so it's not a matter of something being interesting, but better than what I already have. And, and there's probably plenty of stuff that's better than what I've already got, but at least I, I need to understand it better than the things I've already got um, for, it, for it to display. So I look at it like I'm, I'm fielding a, a footy team. You know, I've got all these wonderful, interesting players on the bench. Um, they've got a lot of potential, but if I'm going to take someone off the field... Uh, or if I'm going to put someone off the field, I've got to take someone off, right? And, and I, I, think, I think it's a really helpful way of thinking about it, because I'm not going to invest in a company just because it looks good. That's not the right question. The question is, is it better uh, on a risk adjusted basis than what I've already got out there, you know, um, ho- hopefully kicking some goals? It's nice, a Matt. long rambling answer, but hopefully... It
1: no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good cool. answer. Last one, I think, for the, this episode, yeah, last one, from Matt, who says, Hi, gents, please don't use my full name. Well done. As always, if you don't want your full name use, please say it at the top, because I'm not that smart. I work it to the end before I've used it. Love the podcast, says Matt. What is the impact of index funds and similar on the share price of the highest valued companies on each exchange? If there's lots of investing into index funds, then does that artificially inflate the value of those stocks? Hmm. I'd imagine that compulsory super means there's a lot of blind investment, in quotes, into things like ASX 200 funds or ETFs. Does the market somehow correct for all the indirect investment from index funds? I could see one scenario where the investment from index funds artificially inflates the price of all the top companies and keeps making them go higher, but also a scenario where that would make the company look very expensive, so direct investors would start to sell, keeping it lower. Is there any measure of the proportion of each company's shares held by direct investors compared to fund managers? Mm. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Matt. What do you reckon, mate? I have wrestled with this one. I know some people jump up and down a lot about
0: it. Um, I mean, it feels intuitive, right? The big wall of money blindly having to buy something just because it's in the index and it's of a certain size. So I feel as though it's reckless to say it has no impact. I think it, it very obviously does. And in fact when S&P comes out and announces the reweightings or additions and removals of stocks within a certain index you know if something gets put in it tends to go up because because all these um, funds have to buy it they don't have a choice on it right at the same time price is determined on the margin so once the allocations are kind of there and you know just if, if for the sake of example there was only one trade for BHP today and it was between you and me and we agreed to do it at 20% less than yesterday's price well that's 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 the quoted price. That's what the basis of a market cap calculation is, is determined on. And and the funds don't need to sell down in that instance because just by virtue of the share going down, it kind of reweights itself. So I don't, I don't, I'm not as concerned about it as a lot of people are. I shouldn't say a lot give it more credence than it deserves, but as some people are. Um, but I think it's a, I think it is a factor. I think I think all the higher cap bigger weight companies probably get a premium that they otherwise wouldn't if it wasn't for that. I just don't know how significant it is. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I am reasonably sure it's a non-event. Mm. Not, not perfectly sure. Mm. Reasonably sure it's a non-event. Um, your point, made is absolutely right that uh, the it only matters on the day the trade's placed because mm. once they've bought the, the shares, the next day they might be... Holders and maybe they're less likely to sell because they're holders. They have to have an index weight, so they might it might reduce a little bit of the potential selling pressure. But realistically, if the ETF buys today and the New and I sell tomorrow for whatever price we want to, mm. that's the price that the the shares will be traded at, and that's the price that will be recorded. Mm. So the fact the ETF happened to buy them yesterday is almost immaterial. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that people don't anchor to past prices, so it has an effect. Has an effect. I think the other thing I'd say is the wall of money is coming anyway. Let's say you take ETFs away, mm. um, uh, it, almost almost because of law of averages. If BHP is ten percent of the market weight, it's probably going to get ten percent of the money. If it's not an ETF, just because that's the way the money is going to be spread by investors, stockbrokers, and analysts, and fundies, and everyone else are going to probably buy about ten percent. Maybe it's eight, maybe it's twelve, but of BHP, right? Just because it's kind of that's that's how it gets there in the first place. These these weightings are there before the ETFs even existed because the market bought that much of BHP. So it does kind of reflect the the relative size and relative. Um, value of both the profits of the business and investors' views of the business. That's how the share price are created in the first place. So effectively, an ETF trading at the price the market had already decided it's worth doesn't change anything materially. I uh, said, if it wasn't ETF, it'd be someone else buying shares with their own money, not using the ETF structure, but buying BHP shares because the broker said, yeah, put some money in BHP. And the other guy says, put your money in News Corp. And the other guy says, put your money in Woolies. And so they do. And <laughs> lo and behold, we get to where we got to before we had ETFs, which is about the same proportion. Mm. I think if anything, the money, the, the wall of money going to sh- in shares in general might push up the market in general, i.e. so super contributions or personal savings. The ETF as the as the... Uh, as the Trojan horse for that, I guess it's a simpler, more easy, more efficient process. But I, I don't think the ETF has a structure that makes a single lick of difference is my is my best guess, mm. uh, at all, frankly. Mm. Um, to your point, I, I like what you're thinking, Matt. Yes, if things get expensive, we just will sell them down. So that's part of what will happen. Uh, but BHP is going to probably get roughly, it's not 10%, but let's say it was 10% market weight. It'll get roughly 10% of the money, whether it's still an ETF or not. And that'll just happen. So the ETF thing is, is it's it. it To my mind, I can't... There's a lot of self-interest from fund managers and finance types who will hate ETFs because they're taking money away from them, right? The ETFs have to be the the bringer of all things evil because it just happens to be that way. Um, As you might say, Andrew, don't ask the barber if you need a haircut. Mm -hmm. Ask the fund manager if the competing product's bad for the market. Oh, yeah, very, very bad. You should use me instead. Why why don't you invest in my underperforming high-fee fund? That's much better than this ETF that might possibly slightly have a very, very, very tiny impact on the market. I hope you're hearing my tongue well and truly in my cheek. Um, I I've never yet seen a case for, for ETFs being even slightly distorting of the market. Um, for anyone who has any idea or cares enough, you know, at 90 if it was if ETFs were 95% of the market would it make a difference? I'm still not even sure they would. The ATX worked perfectly well 40 years ago when trading volumes were one, what, one thousandth of what they are now around, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the market worked perfectly well. Was it as efficient? Maybe slightly inefficient, but for long-term investors, who cares? Like, it just, it just, I, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of smart people who, for self-interested reasons and purely academic reasons, want to think things are true and real and whatever. Um, I don't know. If 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 ETFs are the biggest problem we got in the market, we must have a very, 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 very well-functioning market. Put it that way. Mm. And we don't. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that again, it's 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 an I I definitely get it. It's it's an interesting thing to think about, but it's just it's Mm. it's a distraction from the main game, you know. And it's just you've got to always bring it back to, you know, all these market dynamics and the rest of it. It's kind of like. You know, I'm, I call me old fashioned, but I just want to own a part of a really cool business, and, and I yeah. and I want that business Absolutely to do very well over <laughs> yeah, over many exactly. many years. And yeah. you know, whatever whatever impacts yeah. it has, it's probably yeah. not much. But let's say if it's a crappy company, um, mm-hmm. it's still going to be a crappy com- crappy company in five years' time, probably more so. Yeah. And doesn't really matter what what benefit it's gotten from this phenomena or otherwise.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's yeah. like it's like high frequency trading for me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Is, is it a market distortion? Probably. Yeah. Does yeah. it does it does it worry does it does it make a difference to me if if my the shares I buy are a tenth of a percent more expensive now and a tenth of a percent cheaper when I sell it in twenty five years? Yep. No, because I, over that period of time I'm probably going to get you know the Vanguard charts it's thirteen times my money. If I am going you know a tenth of a percent on the buy, tenth of a percent the sell, well I rather not? Of course I would. And, and should the should the authorities fix it? Of course they, yep, should. they should. Does it does it damage confidence to the market? Yes, it does. Yep. Is it, is it even slightly impactful for a long-term investor? Not even close. It's yeah. just, it's just, it's just it's like really thoughtful, interesting idea and great question, just thinking through the mechanics of this stuff. But that's the theoretical thing. The practical answer doesn't make a single bit of difference or anything I might do. I will say absolutely, I don't, I'm not absolutely about anything, but... I can almost think I say absolutely not. Just it's just not odd event.
0: It's the idea of that perfect being the enemy of the good, you know. Like in yeah. an absolutely perfectly operated market. Yes. Could yes. we? Could yeah. it be much better than it is today? And actually, should
1: we strive for that? Yeah, I think we really should. Yes, but it exactly. just, yep. you, know, it, you know, you know, you got to, you got to even much better. I'm not even sure much better. Could it really be much better? It Might be a bit better. But yeah. Well, that, look, much that's better. much should be. Yeah, that,
0: it's actually it's actually pretty good despite a few few hairs on it. But but um, <laughs> it's sort of like if you you've got to deal like munger said this reiterated reiterated it again recently you've got to deal with the world as it is not as you wish it would be and and i think that's really a really great way of thinking about it if i buy a company at 10 cents and it's an absolute dog you know the fact that i could have bought it at 9 cents it doesn't really matter in 5 years time when it's trading at 0.1 of a cent right or likewise if it goes to the moon and it's 50 cents or a dollar i don't do i care that i bought it at 8 9 10 11 12 i yeah, I know it makes a difference. I don't want to be too flippant about it, but not really. <laughs> not not in not in, not in its general nature and character of, of, of what, what it overall looks like. So, yeah, not even close. Don't, don't sweat the
1: small stuff. Hey, if you want your question answered or you just want to get in touch or like some of our older listeners who, Andrew, unfairly maligned a couple of weeks ago, uh, you want to send us an email. We like all of those things. Uh, you want Mastodon yet, Andrew? I actually downloaded it just out of curiosity. Yeah, I,
0: I did, but then I got... The onboarding was a bit clunky. I thought I had to sign yeah. up to a particular server, and so server, I, I looked yeah. for. A, I thought, what would be centralized? You should love this stuff. It's like DeFi for social media. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think what um, <laughs> Jack Dorsey is doing is far more interesting. But uh, yeah, that's a topic for another day. Is it on the
1: blockchain? Yeah, no no, no no, it's not but it's good, good. related okay. then, then i might be interested yeah. uh, i'm kidding if you want to follow me on mastodon please do i'm the only person i still think who's, who's used that Osbiers hashtag on mastodon so far which tells you exactly how few people are on there i'm just scrolling out yeah i've used that yeah me 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 oh no one other person there you go two people have used it, uh, the Osbiers hashtag me and some other bloke uh his was back on may 23 by the way so i'm the only person since may uh at, Scott Phillips, at Oz, A-U-S, dot social, uh, as Andrew said that's the, it's the oz.social server it's a bit clunky but as you say that's how to get there um, I'm kidding no one's going to do that but if you are a mustard on come and follow me because I've got I think like one follower or something so, uh, so make me feel popular That would be lovely uh, otherwise the usual the usual machines until, until Elon completely blows Twitter up I'm still there <laughs> at TMF Scott P Andrew is at Sage underscore Simeon and Strawman is at Strawman Invest um, jump onto Insta get me at TMF Scott P and on Facebook I'm facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips money or like our very, very valuable. older listeners that Andrew doesn't like, but I love. You can email us, info, I-N-F-O at fool.com.au. Send us your questions, send us your feedback, send us your thoughts and comments. Uh, we love hearing them all. And remember, as I mentioned, uh, Bitcoin questions. Uh, we won't be answering them soon, but in the next, well, soon to be weeks away, but start getting them in now. We'll start to rack them up and we can, uh, we can work out a Bitcoin episode. If you don't want a Bitcoin episode, then uh, don't ask Bitcoin questions is all I would say. But until next Friday, at the very, very least, full on. Cheers.